Hi, it's G3, and this is episode 117 of Green Marbles, recorded on Wednesday, January 17th. Today, I am pleased to have Jordi Visser on the podcast so that he can offer up a market update that can speak to the rockiness that has characterized 2024 thus far. We'll discuss the headwinds Jordi is seeing, as well as his latest perspectives on inflation, AI, and investor sentiment. As always, please check important disclosures at the end of the episode. And with that, welcome. All right, we are recording on this very, very chilly day. Keeping warm, Jordy? Trying, yeah. I had a gator on today for the first time non-skiing since the worst of COVID. You had a gator on and I had long johns on. Oh, there you go. They really work well. I made it without those. All right. Well, the weather outside is frightful and the markets are as well, but hopefully we will do something delightful today and get your market update. You did your first webinar last week and you used the word headwinds a lot. I should have done a keyword search to see how many times you used the word headwinds, but we got the message and we'll make sure to include that link to the video in the show notes. Things have gotten off to a rocky start this year, and we bounced back last week, but this week again, we're in the red. Can you give a summary of your views after the first couple of weeks of the year about what you are expecting? Let's go first in the short term. So when we started last year, sentiment was extremely negative still. It had been negative really since 2020, and it had never been positive when the market went higher. And at the beginning last year, between positioning and sentiment, there were a lot of tailwinds, meaning you didn't have to do a lot of things right to have a good outcome for people. And that just meant that when you start a year and you've got strategists calling for 3,200 on the S&P and we closed the year close to 4,800, that's a significant miss by people who are paid a lot of money to make prognostications on the market. And there's still a lot of people that are bearish on the strategy level. But the biggest headwind coming into this year is that sentiment and positioning are finally expecting something good. And the narrative with it is Goldilocks, soft landing. I mean, just by definition, when you compare that beginning of the year to last year, you're in a very different mindset. We've got rate cuts built in. And as I mentioned in the first podcast of the year, when you have, you know, over 150 basis points of cuts that had been built in. And the only time we've seen that many in a year is when we've had a deep recession. And I didn't expect that, that there was going to be disappointments on rates, which would mean there were disappointments on bonds. Inflation. We went into last year with people talking about things like hyperinflation and hard landings. And now we're just coming into where everything is calm. I mean, literally, you've got strategists calling for 5,000, where last year they were calling for 3,200. So to have that big of a difference and the narrative of soft landing, I just think that uh, there's going to be a reality check for people this year that they have to remember sentiment matters a lot. Positioning matters a lot. So what does that translate into? I mean, are you thinking we're just going to have a lot of back and forth 
Does it mean that investors should think twice before buying on those days when we have a rally and also maybe not selling on the weekdays? Like, How is it going to translate into the market performance? First of all, I think the way, you know, I described it in both the paper I wrote this year, but also the way I finished up last year, that I just view this as not having anything exciting going on this year. I don't think earnings are going to be great. If anything, I think the estimates are probably about where they should be. So if we have 5 to 7% earnings growth and we have a similar type number for sales growth, well, where we finish valuation-wise, we could easily fall 10 to 15% this year and have all that come true. And if you go back since the 1930s, we had a double-digit down year in 2022. If you go back and look at every time we've had double-digit down years, when we finally get a double-digit up year, it has not been followed by a double-digit down year going back to the 1930s. Now, you've had a couple times where you were actually down the next year, and I think there's a chance that we could be down double digits this year, meaning 10 11%, nothing big, and I don't expect a recession. I don't expect earnings to fall. But I do think we're going into a year where valuations are extremely high and we just have a situation right now where the Fed funds rate is up at a level that makes money market rates are very attractive. And that's why when we did our 50-30-20, I would say the biggest negative for the market, we enter the year with all these positive thoughts and I just think we're going to start going back and forth and back and forth. And if I had to pick a range for this year... I think the range in the S&P is probably something along the lines of 4,300 to 5,000. And we were up at 4,800. So I just don't see a lot of excitement. And that's why the 50, 30, 20, the 20 is the only story I like this year, which is Bitcoin. If I read between the lines of what you're saying, you're basically saying that we have robust valuations and money market rates are still offering you 5% and change. So talk about what that means for the risk reward of equities. We finished last year with a lot of hope because there was breath in the market in the final two months. And I had mentioned in the end of your podcast, beginning of your podcast and the paper that I wrote that one of the things that hit me hard last year was how bad the breath was up until October. And even though It did come back at the end of the year. Overall, breath just is not good. And small cap stocks were way, way below their all time highs while the S&P and NASDAQ got close there. So far to start the year, we've seen a lot of weakness in beta, weakness in small caps. We've seen weakness in the Taiwanese stock exchange, Korean stock exchange. We've seen freight rates go higher. We've seen the dollar strengthen. And I think all of this has kind of put us in a position where we should be paying attention to the marbles that are saying that a correction is due. The pendulum shifts that have been happening about every three months, we just had a kind of two to three month rally. And I think we probably have a three month new narrative that's setting in, which is number one, the higher rates and AI is really hurting a lot of companies that normally would be benefiting from coming out of a recession. And we're not coming out of a recession. We actually have high rates and we have artificial intelligence, which is hurting investments into smaller places. And we have China still not gaining any strength economically. So 
I just think for the market at this point, everything that's happened is very negative for the higher risk parts of the market. And I think we're going to continue to see that for the first quarter. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about broader market narratives that are pervasive right now. You have also discussed why our declining inflation rate is no longer going to be a tailwind. And yet, you know, you can't shake a stick without hitting a pundit talking about how inflation is going to continue to moderate, maybe a couple of little bumps along the way, but that generally speaking, the trajectory of inflation is down and that is good for the market. So why are you seeing things a bit differently? Well, number one, it was only October that inflation was one of the bigger fears. Funding the U.S. government was a fear. And I only bring that up just to show how quickly sentiment can change. So I think the extrapolation of inflation downward, it really just doesn't take into account the structural issues related to especially demographics. And demographics is the key point here for people. Net worth increased by over $40 trillion since 2019 from about $120 trillion to $160 trillion. That is predominantly owned, as we've talked about, by baby boomers and higher, but 44 and higher, I believe, have 90% of the net worth. So when people talk about there won't be any spending happening, which is normally what goes on when you're talking about a soft landing or something where there's not going to be inflation, there's an enormous amount of money that was created. There's still money in the system and checking accounts because of the printing. But the other place where the demographic is really important for this year is on the wages. And we have a labor shortage. You and I have talked about this almost since the beginning of the podcast. I have reiterated time and time again to not forget about the labor shortage, which is there because of this demographic issue. Demographics are a major, major part of everything that I think is going to happen this year. In fact, if I was going to take one thing behind the scenes that I don't think people are going to talk about, similar to the labor shortage in the past two years, it's going to be that demographics are kicking in. It's four years since before COVID. And I keep bringing up that it's amazing that four years ago, We're literally at the point where four years ago is when COVID happened. The amount of money that was printed, the inflation we got out of it, then the rate hikes, then we got last year in terms of a rally happening where a soft landing kicked in. We are now finally at a point where kind of the boring stuff is setting in, but you have these issues that if people think core services are going to come down all the way, I just don't see it. And then to start off the year, We've got the problems in the Red Sea, which are going to add to freight rates. Freight rates are not going to be able to, by themselves, take up inflation. But I do think gas at the pump, which finally came down to a level, when we start to get into the driving season, you'll start to see a little bit of an increase in gas at the pump. That'll stop the negative headline numbers from coming in. And I think we'll be talking about inflation, which is closer to 3%. And one of the driving forces is the fact that we still have supply chain issues out there because we are in a trade war with China where we are trying to redo the supply chains around the globe. And as much as that doesn't seem like a structural problem, it took us 40 years to build them up. It's going to take us a while to break them down. And all that has to do is add 0.3 or 0.4 to inflation. And that'll keep us from getting down to the 2% level that people think. And the forecast for most economists for this year is getting the PCE core back towards two to two and a half. And I think we're probably going to be a little bit more sticky on the upside. And that's the biggest problem. 
I think you need to turn in your deflationista badge. You are not sounding like a deflationista. Now, granted, you did make the right call and you called peak inflation in mid-2022. But by the sound of it, it sounds like you don't think we're getting back down to 2% anytime this year. The deflationista thing is real. But here's the thing. So from 2010 to 2020, what people have to remember is let's start with the first situation, the wage situation. Unemployment rates were dramatically higher than they are now from 2010 to 2017 during the major part of the software boom where deflation was going. One of the driving forces for disinflation the prior decade was the fact that the job market just wasn't tight. The first baby boomer retired in 2011. So now we're fast forwarding and you have the last baby boomer turning 65 in 2029 which means we're going to have all of these people, all of these people retired and spending money and having saved a ton and having all this net worth built up. You can't ignore the fact that at the end of the day, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. And I don't think you can kill it with the, and I've started to use this, the demographic adjusted net worth in this country. People turning 65 this ends up being both a wage problem and it ends up being a spending problem because of the savings. The demographic adjusted net worth. Yeah. All right. So can you just give me a couple more sentences on that? Well, if you take the 160 trillion and you basically say, okay, what is the average age for ownership of that? It just keeps moving higher because that age group, as I said, from 44 and above owns 90 plus percent. Now, People above the age of 44, they're not looking to buy houses. That's somewhere that's closer to your 30s. So what are they spending money on? Well, they're spending money. If you're not spending on a house, you're spending a lot of it on services. Healthcare in particular. Healthcare, traveling, anything along those lines. So I just think it's very, very difficult because what AI will eventually do, its deflationary you know, <laughs> purpose will be to hopefully at some point control wages, but that's a long ways away. And as someone who has spent his time analyzing this year, not from reading McKinsey reports and things to get a sense as to by 2035, so-and-so will happen. Right now we're in this window where I just don't think AI helps the deflationary situation in the same way that software did, because I don't think you're going to get the benefits in the service side. AI is not helping the nurse shortage. It's not helping a bunch of different places in this country where we have shortages. And at the same point, you're going to have spending that is going on, even with rates at these levels. And if the Fed does cut rates, I just don't see how people are so comfortable with a disinflationary environment. We're going to have higher inflation than we did from 2010 to 2019. So basically what you're saying is AI is not going to bail out the equity markets in 24, that narrative that propelled the mag seven and all that we're just not going to have that this year last year ai was not a theme at this point ai became a theme a tradable theme a recognized narrative something that people were talking about in march of last year and all you have to do is go look at nvidia's race from 100 to 500 that was the driving force but really since june the ai trade for the most part was kind of stuck we have seen NVIDIA and Microsoft break higher to start this year. That's about it, though. I mean, at this point, I think the harder thing for people is going to be how does AI really help the market this year when it's expected that AI is going to be a big portion? And that's the biggest thing. And I'll keep saying it. I have a feeling I'm going to say it all year long. 
don't forget sentiment, don't forget positioning. And right now it is ready for AI. It is ready for a soft landing. It is ready for rate cuts. And that just means there's going to be surprises on the other side. So I'm glad you mentioned Microsoft as well. Wanted to just mention that this past week's Barron story that sought to kind of christen a new Mag 7 that threw out Apple and Tesla from that category. What's your take on this whole idea of just reconstituting the Mag 7 and that there are always going to be a couple of tech giants that can propel huge market cap gains? Well, first of all, I didn't see the story. I don't read Barron's and I don't read anymore. I didn't see the article. So I have two thoughts on it based on what you said. And you can add more once I've, I guess, given the answers. First of all, Apple's close to a $3 trillion company. There's two things about it being replaced. I find that ludicrous and almost arrogant by people thinking that an American company is going to be able to replicate what Apple did, which is bigger than every GDP for a country in the world, except for a few. I'll put close to 0% chance that we're going to find a company that's going to be able to generate enough revenues from artificial intelligence or whatever else they're coming up with Mag7 in a non-competitive way, meaning building a moat around their business. All these things we've talked about, I find it to be close to 0% chance. And this gets back into using the Web 2.0 playbook to invest in Web 3.0. I just, again, I feel is ridiculous. I don't think you're going to be able to pick out if there were to be a Mag 7, A, I'd be shocked. Secondly, a new Mag 7. Secondly, I think your ability to pick them would be impossible. What's more likely to me is what I talk about in terms of what is going to happen with communities, what's going to happen with the crypto world, which is you're going to have more and more of these boom bust scenarios where companies dramatically get bigger very quickly and then they fall down. But the other thing is it's the capital structure that I think is going to change. And this is a a view that I have. And as I'm kind of writing a, a new paper on my story of Bitcoin to try and hopefully give people something to understand it from a different perspective, if you try to get a company to go to from a startup to $2 billion, thinking that okay, well, you'll start the company and then you'll get some revenues and you'll bring it to a VC and then you'll get a valuation at a billion dollars and then you'll get more money. And by the time you've gone through the traditional channels of where you get your capital from and then the owners of the business only own 20%, 30%, whatever has happened in the past, I just don't see that happening. I don't see these companies as necessarily needing to get VC money the way they did in the past. Maybe some of them will, But I really do believe what I said before, which is the crypto world and AI is going to allow companies to grow based on their community, which could be their customers. It could be the people that work for them, whatever the case is. But I think the community based investing is going to be very different going forward. I don't think this is going to be where you have to go out and find your money from places. I think AI will allow companies to start with less people. That should mean they need less capital. I think it's going to allow them to grow much faster. And I'll reference Mistral again in Europe and just their story. And if you just spend time on how a company can basically be formed in less than six months from idea to $2 billion valuation, I think they did a fundraise at in October and November, those stories just didn't happen in the past. So I believe that it'll be very, very difficult for anyone to use the Web 2.0 playbook to predict and nor do I think they should even bother with it. 
The other thing is if Apple does trade down and let's assume it's not the mag seven and the chart on app is just horrendous to me. And if it does break down, I just don't see how the equity market and in particular the tech market is going to be good this year. If all of a sudden you're dealing with an Apple that's not acting well. So I think on every level, the Barron's article to me just is another hopeful thing for this year. All right. Well, let's end here on maybe something a little bit positive, if you could, and maybe a few more negatives, too. What are some of the surprises you are looking out for after the first couple of weeks of this year? Let me just summarize the negatives, because I've mentioned most of them at some point that stand out to me. First of all, is that breath and beta were not able to follow through from last year. I think that is a clear warning sign for the market that As I talked about, we're going to see a lot of companies go out of business in terms of bankruptcies over the next five years. We'll have a lot of business formations. I don't think that helps the public markets because my guess is is that a lot of the problems are going to be these companies that just can't survive in a world of competition of AI on one side, not having spent money on technology. And then on the second, they just have a lot of debt and rates are just too high for them. So I think you're going to see a lot of those companies go out of business. So breath and beta breaking down was a big negative. I mentioned Apple. I think the Apple chart is a very big warning sign of just a lot of problems that come in from their relationship or their dependence on China, where they are as a company in terms of valuation. I've mentioned this. I highlighted them in the webinar that I did that it's very challenging for me to see a company at their size, starting with a PE close to 30 with money market rates at above 5%. And challenges in what appears to be their earnings where analysts are who have been very, I'd say, aware of the company and they're getting more negative. So I think the Apple chart is a big negative. And I think freight rates, just in terms of what's happening in the Red Sea, I don't think it can be minimized. I don't think it's going to have a dramatic impact on inflation. But in a year where everything's surprised in inflation on the downside, I think anything like a reminder of the supply chain issues or just the Middle East getting to be maybe a little bit bigger problem than what people have thought. I think that is a negative. In terms of the positives, I'm very surprised so far that AI has continued to lead. I'm not surprised NVIDIA broke out. The chart was looking good. I think now that it broke out, if it gets back under 500, I think that would be a very negative sign for the AI crowd that maybe we've already built in things. Microsoft, similar thing. So I would watch those two. I don't know whether to put this next one as a positive or a negative. China just looks horrible. They can't get out of their way. The Hang Seng is at the same level it was in 2006. They've made new lows as of today, Wednesday, in their stock market. And they've come out publicly and said they're not going to do any kind of big stimulus. So you can view it as a positive or negative. It's bad enough there that maybe they'll throw in the towel and do something. And if they don't, I think it has a lot of negative implications for oil and commodities in general that I would suspect are going to trade lower. Oil, again, can be a positive or a negative. If it goes lower, and I do believe one of the surprises this year will be that oil gets under $60 at some point on its way to zero, as I've said over the course of the next five to 10 years. But I do think you're going to get a surprise on the downside. So maybe that's a positive or a negative. But one of the biggest positives as of now is despite the fact we've seen a backup in rates, as of now, credit spreads remain near all-time tights. So those would be the surprises so far for the year. Overall, when I put them all together, I think we're in the beginning of the first kind of week period for equities. And then we'll get a bounce and then we'll get some weakness and we'll get a bounce and we're going to spend the whole year going back and forth. And you're saying that credit spreads are a positive because 
that is implying that there is no panic in the market, right? Yeah, it means it's not related to the economy. At this point, the economy's fine. We're looking at Q4 GDP somewhere between two and two and a half percent for estimates. And that's a quote unquote soft landing situation. So we're getting what the market expected. And if credit spreads were widening, I think there'd be a bigger issue. And I'm sure we'll see some episodic uh, credit spreads widening this year. But as of right now, everything is in there. So when we're getting weakness in stocks, it's not showing up in credit at this point. All right. Well, maybe we'll get some warmer weather at some point. Everyone will feel a little bit better. And I will remind you of this podcast for when things are beginning to look a bit too sunny and you'll be able to say, well, wait a minute, hold on. We still have a lot of structural issues at play underneath. Unlike the last couple of years where it felt like it was defending against people that were bearish and on everything. I think this year is going to be a big back and forth year. All right. Thank you so much. This was great, Jordy. Appreciate it. Thanks, T3. This podcast should not be reproduced, copied, distributed, or published in whole or in part. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The views expressed herein are subject to change without any notice. Information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as recommendation to purchase or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investments. Any health-related information shared on the podcast is not intended as medical advice for use in self-diagnosis or treatment. Please consult a qualified healthcare professional before acting upon any health-related information on the podcast. Please also review related show notes for this podcast and visit us at www.gwise.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.